Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And Adam, you know, you know, you know how, uh, you know how this, this is the week of a new James Bond movie? It is. Uh, last Daniel Craig one. No time to die. So you, you think there's no time to die. I think that the world is not enough uh, for me. <laughs> and the world is not enough for uh vulcan is the thing you know vulcan the third summer's brother yeah he's that like slobby kind of like almost teenagery kind of guy that's hanging out at the summer's house on the moon right that's that's yeah he yeah he gets high with all of his friends and just is having having a good old time and in the spirit in the spirit of vulcan hanging out with his friends we couldn't talk about Vulcan without one of our friends. Uh, you may know him from uh, writing and editing on Comics XF. Uh, you may also know him from editing on Comic Book Herald. Uh, it's Vishal Gulapali. Vishal, how are you today, bud? I'm doing pretty good. How are y'all? Well, I am pumped mm-hmm. to talk about X Men yeah. in space. <laughs> That's called Moonraker. That's Moonraker. That's the James Bond one. It's the Moonraker one. Uh, I was I was gonna try and bring in a "You Only Live Twice" thing here, but with Krakoa. Oh, I like that. That's good. I mean, I feel like Krakoa is more of a die another day situation. You're right. You're right. Oh boy, you are just pushing that bit too far, there, Mister Zachary. <laughs> <laughs> I could see the um, wheels spinning in your head. You're thinking of more James Bond. Yeah, because I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of what James Bond <laughs> stuff would be too far. Like, I think if you wanted to call Excalibur on Her Majesty's Secret Service, that'd be too far. That would be <laughs> that would be very too far. I was going to say the Octopussy was probably too far for the franchise's naming <laughs> conventions, even though that's uh, in Fleming title. Like, I feel like. That probably is them saying, okay, listen, probably a little much here. Well, it's in keeping with what we're going to talk about today, because Vulcan is a little too much, wouldn't you say? I I think Vulcan's a lot. Vishal, what's your, just in general, uh, you were were actually recently on a podcast, uh, the Cerebrocast, by a friend of the show, Connor Goldsmith, uh, that... Talking about one of the summers who some people say is too much, uh, Cable. How do you feel about Vulcan though? Because yeah. you're a cable, you're a cable guy, and I know you I'm you have some guy, yeah. you have some summers love. So what's your what's your what's your Vulcan feelings? Um, Deadly Genesis is maybe my least favorite X Men comic. Okay, is where I would say <laughs> Vulcan stands with me. Fair. <laughs> uh I, I do like him in the Hickman X-Men, though. That's some good stuff. Hey, want me to tell you a dirty little secret, Michelle? We're not yeah. talking about that today. We're not talking about that. We're going to talk about the bad stuff. Oh, we're, no. we're doing the bad ones. Oh, uh, no. I think we did Deadly Genesis in our second episode, if I'm remembering right. Wow. Was he, 
It was either our second or third episode. It it's actually not that low on the list, honestly. Like it could well, be way lower. We we've said the list has flaws. <laughs> the list the list has a lot of decisions that I would have made differently. Uh, had had I been looking at it now, and I know Adam, there are things you would do differently, but we can't. We can't look at the past. We've got to live and let die here, uh, oh and we've got God. to. Uh, <laughs> Stop. And we've we've got to we've got to look at this list. We got uh, to play our cards like we were gambit at the Casino Royale. Like just just okay. Get them I, I all think out. You did stretch. You stretched. <laughs> you stretched that one. But I did. I did want to say that this list comes to us from Russia with love, uh, from friend of the show, Patreon supporter, Derek McElroy. If you want to be like Derek, uh, you can go over to patreon.com slash comics XF. And that supports, uh, the high quality comic book journalism that you can come to expect from this family of products. Um, yeah, go check it out. It's really great. I like, I like the website. There's cool things. Go do it. Go do it. Uh, anyway, Derek had a request, and it's the first story we're going to talk about. It is a 12-part epic. The boy. Uncanny X-Men 475 to 486. The rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire. Uh, this is this is written by uh, dad comics expert Ed Brubaker, uh, with pencils by Billy Tan, uh, and some fill-ins by Clayton Henry. Yeah, how you guys feel about Billy Tan? He is every early mid two thousands artist rolled into one. <laughs> he does seem to have a lot of those those quirks, doesn't he? You know, just um... I I see Tan as someone who like he he has a lot of Sylvestri in how yes. he how he uh, does it, and part of that may be Danny Miki Miki's inks, but it's not as his his anatomy is not as tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Billy Tan in any of these. Uh, however, I think the larger problem comes from Frank D'Armada's colors. Uh, yeah, which are a weird mix of super washed out and really shiny. That and, like, shiny thing is weird, right? Like this extends all the way through. I think the Deadly Genesis era, where like. Every character kind of looks embossed a little bit around the edges. Like it's a weird mm-hmm. technique. Um, it's it's not one that I care for, and it's one that really it makes this book a real slog to get through. Uh, uh Bru Baker, I I give him a hard time because you know he he writes comics for dads to buy at airports. Uh, <laughs> In more power and to also him. me, who is not a dad. <laughs> oh, Vishal, I've known you. I've known you for long enough to know you've got some big dad energy in you. Uh, you, Thank uh, you. <laughs> you, uh, you, you have you have some of that kindred spirit uh, with dads of the world. I Regardless, the... Brubaker, not the my favorite on big epic sci-fi stories. I don't think that's a crazy sentence. I... I would extend that to not my favorite on the X-Men. Mm. Oh, just no. Hands yeah. down. Yeah, I think it's um, 
like pretty clear just from the number of issues that this story is that it could easily have been told in about half as many issues we should probably give a quick distillation of this plot because uh this is an interesting era of x-men where we have a very sort of strange lineup we're, we're getting away from earth and we have sort of professor xavier's uh vulcan hit squad here uh where they're gonna go try and what i guess do, do they know lalandra is alive at this point do they think she's dead no they know they she's, think al- she's dead they, or no I don't at at this point in continuity because i was thinking about this as we were we were uh, reading it this is actually to the best of my knowledge the first shiar story since uh imperial from the grant morrison x-men mm-hmm. oh, okay uh, yeah, so there's a lot of references so this is this is right you know in in shiar times this is right after uh right after uh cassandra nova hecked up a lot of stuff and then Lalandra said hey um you're not gonna be my consort anymore so our lineup here is is very unique. Uh, it's a bunch. Xavier's on the outs with Cyclops at this point, so he he pulls together a team of people who, due to Deadly Genesis, right? Obviously, like once you yeah they they don't explicitly say it for a while. Actually, Xavier's just kind of like Scott doesn't trust me, and I didn't remember Deadly Genesis happened right <laughs> before, so they just kind of skirted around the fact that Xavier mind wiped Scott of the existence of his younger brother presumed dead yeah right 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 it is kind of wild that the uh the two of the people on this lineup are people that were involved in (laughs) that that krakoa story um we have havoc and we have polaris uh recently unvillainified i guess um alongside out of out of the blood of apocalypse stuff right right uh we also have uh warpath um darwin who gets some fun moments uh throughout this thing to do to actually do stuff um nightcrawler mm-hmm. always dutiful um and rachel who is coming off of having her entire summer's clan being assassinated by the uh shiar secret what are they the secret guard what are they the the chancellor's guard yes is, I think, what they call them. the super yep. secret bad guys and they'll come back later this episode. The, the imperial guard that does a lot of assassinations instead of just mm-hmm. protecting you know coups the Chris Bocciolo designs that we get other people to draw for a bit. It's okay because they they pop up a couple of times. They are incredibly Chris Bocciolo designs, and these people are really struggling trying to figure out how to make them work in any sort of realistic art. For sure. Uh, so we definitely take some time here for Vulcan to, um, you know blow some stuff up i mean he's basically on a quest he has no idea that deken is is like not dead but like comatose comatose. so he thinks he's off to like kill deken for you know to take revenge against deken for everything that he did to him um and uh that's not how this plays out deken actually is well before deken is brought Wait, what takes place first? Because he he uh, rescues Deathbird, right? So so what what happens? The we're not going to talk about the X Men stuff because frankly, the first like six issues of the X Men stuff is they go to space. Yeah, it's that's not exciting. it. That's all that happens. Yep, it's it's a waste of time. But what Brubaker does is he splits it two uh two parts for yeah. the X Men stuff and then a Vulcan solo story essentially. So 
the X-Men yeah, that's get... where Clayton Henry comes in to draw as well. Right. He draws all the Vulcan stuff. Which, I don't love Clayton Henry's work, but I think he's a better artist on this book than, uh, than Billy. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, but, so Vulcan runs in, it's a Shi'ar story, so he runs into the Imperial Guard. He gets thrown into prison. Some people who want to see the Mad Emperor Ken's reign restored break him out of prison if he'll break out Deathbird. Him and Deathbird hook up. Deathbird's like, I would like to not be queen, please. Can you just let my brother do it? I want to be evil. And he says, <laughs> but I don't like your brother. She says, that's fine. I don't like my brother. He can still be king, so I don't. And then you can be powerful. Uh, long story short, they want to get married uh, at the Imkron Crystal. Yeah. I hear and they're they, taking they reservations. <laughs> Yeah, they uh they want they want to have guests. So Professor Xavier gets captured, uh, and his execution is going to be part of uh, the wedding ceremonies. How romantic! Listen, listen, a Shi'ar wedding without at least two deaths is considered a dull affair. <laughs> it's not a bad plan, you know. Just if if you're Vulcan and you need some entertainment, uh, it's not terrible. Hey. I mean, Deken doesn't like Xavier. Deathbird doesn't like Xavier. Vulcan yeah. does not like Xavier. Hey, we we also uh, failed to mention uh, the additional member uh, who joins the X-Men here, and that is Corvus. <laughs> we got to talk about Michelle, Corvus. do you want to explain uh... Corvus? We do have to talk about Corvus because he makes out with Rachel a bunch, and it's never good. Oh, it's so Rachel's weird. hella gay, right? Like... Yeah, everyone's yeah, accepted that. She's so gay. Yeah. New so costume for Rachel weird. includes the early two thousand hip huggers. Uh, somewhere in this it episode, does. she in the stories we read, she is like, "Man, I wish I could wear sweatpants." And I'm like, "Why? Just wear sweatpants. Like, you could superhero in sweatpants. I wouldn't judge you." It, yeah, honestly, everyone's outfits during the months-long space trip kind of implies that they either have one outfit that they watch regularly, or they have, like, seven of the same outfit. <laughs> Neither option is good here, is the thing. No, they're not. Oh. But, yeah, uh, the X-Men run into a former Shi'ar prisoner uh, named Corvus Rook Shi'ar, who has the Phoenix Sword, which is a sword that isn't possessed by the phoenix but is possessed by the memory of the phoenix and it makes rachel gray gray just horny as all get out for him i hate that see corvus by himself i don't really hate he's basically a final fantasy character he has this giant sword he has a spiky haircut and he just shows up and he's like yeah we used to call the phoenix the falcone <laughs> okay and but that 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 <laughs> Is continuity. That's from X-Men Spotlight on the Star Jammers. And we Oh my god. And we have a piece of him in my sword, and a piece of the piece is gonna like go back to Rachel because it's like, oh, let me fly home to to, to the Phoenix host. And you know, I hate that they're they're like, you know, flirtatious and whatever. It doesn't add anything to the story, but um I do I don't like have anything against Corvus. He's just a stupid like video game character that shows up in the story. There's a there's a story waiting to be told with Corvus Rookshiar as like I don't know Cloud Strife of Space. Like <laughs> right. yeah, you could do that easily. He easily. Does, wait, no, what's the what's is it what what's Zach's last name from Final Fantasy Seven? 
Because that's what he looks like. He looks like a bird version of Zack from Final Fantasy VII. Hmm. I don't know. It's not, imp- it's not important. He, Spoiler alert. It's fair, just for the record. You're right. Spoiler Damn. alert. Zack Fair uh, is not you, is what's important in Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get the Star Jammers. Anyway, yeah, right? they show up and they don't do enough. Like, that's the thing. I don't actually like the Shi'ar. I think the Imperial Guard are neat. I think the Star Jammers rule. Star Jammers are great. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they kind of showed up just so that, like, uh, what's her name? Hepzibah? Can't remember her name. Yeah, Hepzibah could fall down back to Earth at the end of it. Mm. Yeah, because what ends up happening... And she's there for a while. Like, she's in uh, Messiah Complex. She's, like, around. She is... She is there... Is she there through... She's there through some of the Utopia stuff. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when she leaves, but, like... Is she there? Yeah, Greg Land drew her. She's... Is she there until, like, right before uh, Regenesis? Because that's she, when that's when yeah. they get the rest of the team. Isn't she there through Bastion? That's when they end up... Go- oh my gosh, she's there too long. Yeah. Well, the other she reason is. the Starjammers are there is so that this, like, ragtag uh, group of space X-Men basically then become the Space Jammers for a while. Uh, as this story progresses that's not really in this particular arc um this ends with uh vulcan taking his revenge on deken and becoming the new emperor of the shiar because he's now married uh to deathbird so he doesn't kill xavier who gets his powers back after m day uh mm-hmm. and he does because kill... of the Mkron crystal right right whatever who cares <laughs> Because he goes into the Mkron crystal and comes out fine. If you're going to commit, yeah. if you're going to commit to depowering Xavier and Magneto, then Ed Brubaker, you can't bring them both back with powers during your very short <laughs> yeah. time on the X-Men. That's not fair. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but what does happen is uh, that Corsair gets uh, murder killed oh, by yeah. Vulcan. Who's very mad? Mm-hmm. Which is part- that's the actual reason the Star Jammers show up, I think. Yeah, I mean it is because he has to kill his dad to show that he is truly, truly too far gone uh, to do anything but be evil. Which mm-hmm. I mean, you kill the coolest guy in space. I'm gonna be mad at you. Uh, so Lalandra's disposed. She's hanging out with the Star Jammers, as is her, as is her usual. Vulcan's Emperor. It's all a bad story. Half the X-Men get sent back to uh, Earth to say, well, that was a weird time we just had. Let's ignore it. And then Havoc and Polaris and uh, Rachel, they become the new Star Jammers because the X-Men don't kill? Question mark? I don't know. I saw Messiah Complex Star Jammers right do. after this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Messiah Complex ends with Cyclops saying there are no X-Men, which is him saying we can kill everyone now. That's, don't worry about that- it. I mean, Ed, Ru- Ed Brubaker did write both of those. This is the same editorial. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, I also do want to mention, though, a very, very weird scene when Vulcan's in prison and he's, like, talking to, like, a manifestation of his childhood self who's like, I did the math and I figured out how old you are. You're 15 years old. Right. Which, 
you know, okay, he's acting like a teenager, sure. But then he gets married to Deathbird. If So, I don't know what's going on there. If the story committed to the idea that he was, like, just this angry, angry teen boy, I honestly think it would be better than where it goes, which is being like, look at him, he is a powerful leader in the Emperor. And it's like, no, you're just drawing him like a generic 20-something superhero whose motivation is rage and nothing else. Like, at least give us, at least give us bad teen, Vulcan. That's what Hickman's doing. He's making him just be like this guy who's <laughs> crashing on couches and getting drunk all the time. I'm down with that. And then he's sad, yeah. like all teen boys really are. I mean, later on in this episode, I think that the character is being written a little bit more like that, you know, as sort of like this petulant child, but um you're you're right for Shaw. it is very weird that they establish that he is a, aged up as part of his enslavement and then has to you know marry an adult um for purposes of you know ruling so um you mm-hmm. you mentioned deadly genesis why don't we uh look at our giant big list here and figure out where this particular arc belongs on it yeah so we got a really 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 big list uh in fact there are 558 stories on this list, with the number one story being the House of X, the Powers of Ten. Uh, the 100th story being X-Force Assault on Grey Malkin. Uh, Love that one. It's a good one. It's the 100th best one, if you haven't paid and paying attention. <laughs> it should be number one. Wow. But, you know. Wow. <laughs> it does have that part where they throw Cruel in, off of a helicopter and just, like, leave a note on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Greg Capullo and X-Force. What more do you need? It's great. It's classic. I need it to be just slightly shorter and just all as good as issue Just stop. 19. Just stop. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. <laughs> Number 200 is Matrapore Knights. Uh, now I'm going the wrong way. Oh, no. Number 300 on our list is Weapon X, 17 through 21. Sabretooth in charge that time that Omega Red got a baby tiger. Uh Number 400 on the list is The Hunt for Wolverine, Weapons Lost, and also the bookend stories because we were lazy and did not want to do those separately. Uh, number 500 on the list is New Mutants, 7 through 12, The Ties the Bind. That's the one where Rain hooks up with a student. And then the Draco's at the bottom. Where's Deadly Genesis at? It's at 380. Pretty good showing hey, for Deadly sh- Genesis, all things considered. I don't know if that's shockingly that's high or obscenely if they're just- high. Okay, but I am also looking at what's below it, and I, I'm starting to think that X-Men is bad. <laughs> there are okay. a ton of bad okay. X-Men, uh, and uh, there's a lot of stuff worse okay, than I, the Genesis. I mean, I feel like the one where uh, Cypher is addicted to the internet is better than Deadly Genesis, but you do you. <laughs> so, Vishal, uh, is this better or worse than Deadly Genesis? So... I'm leaning worse, honestly, because this is twice as long, and it Deadly Genesis commits to this idea that Xavier is terrible, and this doesn't. Mm. There's a lot of, like, oh, no, Xavier's right, like, we shouldn't kill people, and then he leaves, and it's like, Havoc goes, we're not the X-Men anymore, so we can kill people, but it's portrayed as this, like, I don't know, bad decision or, like, angry decision he's making. Rather than like, yeah, we don't have to listen to the jerk anymore. <laughs> uh, Zach, better or worse? What do you think? 
I mean, I think I think Vishal's right, but I I do think these are roughly in the same territory. Mm-hmm. Like at three ninety seven, we have those issues of Uncanny X Men from right before this, where Alan Davis and Chris Claremont turn Rachel into a dinosaur. <laughs> uh is that better or worse than this i feel like that's worse it's probably a little worse yeah but i feel like that Uh, what if issue legion killed magneto is better than this i do too so do we want to slot this in as our new number 397 great place all right just under 400 is Uncanny X-Men, The Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire. I do know that multiple people that I am friends with started reading X-Men with that comic. Wild. That's crazy. So it, it like, it has some I mean, some it makes sense. It's got all those, like, you know, titles on it because it's part of that new era where every book was like, oh, you got to start here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great branding mm-hmm. on the outside. Wait, one quick thing before we move on to Emperor Vulcan. Um, is it weird that the Shi'ar Empire neither rises nor falls? I mean, they kind of fall when their empress gets deposed, and then they immediately fall again when their emperor gets killed. So it should be the fall and the fall of the Shi'ar. Yeah. <laughs> but then Vulcan rises. So it should be the fall. Vulcan and... does rise, and he is the Shi'ar Empire by the end so of it. So should be the fall and rise sounds yeah. accurate. Okay, they just got it backwards. Well, because uh, it's not now... about it's not about how the Shi'ar Empire has grown into this thing. They don't even talk about the wedding between Cathari and Shira or whatever. Yeah, it's mentioned elsewhere. I forget which of these yeah. stories does give like a quick synopsis of the uh, the Shi'ar gods. Kathiri and Shara. I'm yes. sorry, I mixed I mixed their names up. Uh, just like Adam, as reading while reading this, has mixed up the next stories that we are going to do, and hopefully you can remember which one this is, Adam, uh, because we're going to be talking about X Men Emperor Vulcan. That's what uh, I said. Written by Chris Yost. Uh, Paco Diaz does the pencils on this one. Didn't I say that? I could have sworn I said Emperor Vulcan. Yeah, you did. Jeez, you, you, you said Emperor Vulcan. I don't know what Zach's talking about. Man, uh, I know I we know were I'm talking about halftime either. I know we were criticizing Billy Tan, but the art is uh, noticeably worse in this particular uh, miniseries, man. Um, this is um... really you don't like Paco Diaz here. I don't love him. I thought he was better than Billy Tan, but worse than Clayton Henry. Interesting. Um, I think that's probably where I'm at too. You know what's weird with all these artists? Like on certain pages, they their art's fine. Like. There are certain things they draw mm-hmm. really, really well. And then you get to other things, like, I don't know if it's certain poses or just, like, angles of faces or certain scenes, and it just falls apart, you know? Um, so, I, I don't know. I was not a, much of a fan of, of this artwork, I guess. Um, especially the way Deathbird is drawn, like, with little feathers holding up Death her Bird. boobs. It's weird. <laughs> Yeah, the boot feathers for Deathbird. That's that's an odd choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Vishal, let me ask. Chris Yost, is he is he a I know he's a guy that a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings about. Is is he someone that was particularly influential in your comics reading, or is he just a guy that did write a bunch of comics? He was a guy who wrote a bunch of comics and they were mostly decent, is where I land. I think that's right. Listen, 
the dude the dude's got that mcu money he's got that mandalorian mm-hmm. money now he's doing fine yeah uh uh did you know that the l in christopher l yost stands for lee as in his dad named him after christopher lee wow i love that's that that's pretty great i like that uh speaking of things that are named after other things <laughs> we get to know a, a new alien species the macron in this uh mini series uh, who knew that there was an entire alien race uh devoted to the macron crystal they i guess they were like mm-hmm. kind of living with the crystal and then the so, shiar stole the crystal what's the backstory here okay so the backstory that we are given, and it gets it gets revealed slowly. So it gets start. They are called the Macron, or the Macron, or however you want to pronounce it. They are called the Skyartal, which apparently translates to "Death to Shi'ar," mm-hmm. which makes sense. I this as much as the Shi'ar Empire is our friend a lot of the times, they are a colonial, like very wicked uh, imperial power. Uh, that forcefully bonds other cultures to their own. And it's not great. All of these stories make the Shi'ar just seem terrible. I mean, they are the antagonists is the problem. (laughs) So what's the deal with these guys? They, uh, they got their world blown up. They, they were, they were on the planet where the Emkron crystal was. And then the Shi'ar wanted that planet. And then they went into dark space or whatever. And then came back and tried to murder the Shi'ar by dropping suns on them. That part's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. I don't, like, here's the thing. You always, I always remember, like, I wasn't a big Star Wars extended universe guy. But I always kept trying to remember, or reading things about them. They were like, yeah, so these Imperial guys just made a better Death Star. And they keep doing that. And then they're like, let's make a big Death Star that's a whole planet. Or let's put a bunch of Death Stars on Star Destroyers. And they're all bad plots. <laughs> and I don't know why you couldn't do something as cool as, hey, let's teleport a sun onto a planet, see what happens. <laughs> That's a cool way to blow up a planet. Mm-hmm. It is pretty neat like that they just like shoot stars at planets and watch them blow up. I mean, very genocidal, but uh, it's still pretty neat. As far as genocides go... I think I think it's it's a neat way to handle it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the story's the story's weird though, Vishal. I mean, what what are our star jammers doing here? Um <laughs> I can't even remember because I can't tell the difference between this series and Rise and Fall, quite honestly. I think the star jammers are like leading some sort of insurrection against uh Vulcan's reign. And they're, like, attacking his military outposts and supply chains and stuff and, like, staging a war. Mm-hmm. But they actually, no, sounds like don't they, they have to doing. team up with uh, with Vulcan and the Imperial Guard to defeat these guys? Because, yeah, the Sky Artal show up and Havoc's like, hey, these guys might be cool because they hate the Shi'ar and we hate the Shi'ar right now. And then they blow up a planet and Havoc's like, oh, no, these guys aren't cool. <laughs> they blew up a planet. They, they they killed billions upon billions of people. We Yeah, they specifically dropped 2.4 billion as the number that were on that specific Oof. planet. Havoc's a lot of things. 
But he is on his going to see a genocide and say, so we're not going to team up with them. Mm-hmm. He then teams up with Vulcan, which is a weird choice that I don't know why the story makes. I mean, I mean, the whole story is bizarre because you get a lot of like Havoc is like angrily convinced he's going to murder Vulcan. And then Rachel is angrily sobbing about the fact that she wants to kill uh, the Shi'ar Chancellor's death squad, whatever, because she remembered that they exist now. Yeah, they show up in one scene, and she she's like, hold me back, hold me back, you know, but yeah, uh, that gets followed up on later, finally. But yeah, everybody kind of is like in these weird, uneasy alliances, and then Havoc at some point does burn Vulcan's, like, face off, uh, gives him a nice Oh, yeah, so, nice so you, know, you know how Havoc, you know how Havoc solar powered? Yes. Well, Vulcan tries to throw him at a sun. <laughs> Doesn't work so well. And then, yeah. then Havoc's like, you may be Omega powered, but I literally have an entire sun in me right now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot you real good. Vulcan does not care for that. Havoc does end this book getting captured and thrown into prison, along with most of the Star Jammers, and Vulcan wins. Which then, flashback billions of years, we find out that actually the Emkron were not the first people to be on the Emkron planet, and in fact are colonizers themselves. In a really weird coda that I don't think adds much to this? It's just... And we've never seen them since, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, it's just... It's like, I understand what Chris Yost was trying to do there. I think maybe he could have just not. I think he could have let people just be mad for good reasons instead of bad reasons. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can understand why an artist wouldn't want to come back to these characters, though. They all have the same um, sort of shield-like face, and um, it doesn't look easy to draw. You know, it, it sort of has these these H.R. Geiger-style like plates on them, but it's uh, it looks like it would be a kind of a pain to draw these characters over and over again. Plus, they're not that interesting. You know, like, unless you're the elder, the elder is like the one, like, super strong one. The rest of them are all kind of just in between sizes and they all look exactly the same. So it's not that exciting. So, I mean, I think we covered it. Uh, I don't think this is like much of anything except it's just kind of like connective tissue between what we just talked about in the first story and what we're going to talk about in the third story. So I don't think this is as good as the, what we just read with the Brubaker stuff. Really? I think it's just less actively bad than the Brubaker stuff. Okay. I'm about, I think I'm about exactly there where I would, I would say like, okay, what right below it is X-Force and Cable Annual number 95. Which one is that? Because if that's the one I think it is, then I don't know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> that's not the one I thought it was. I thought this was the... No, it is! That's the one where they go to the beach! And it's not what you want, but it's still good. No, that annual is better than, than this. I, I think that's fair. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that Bloodline is probably better than this too, even though that's pretty bad. Um, how about the first appearance of Adam X, the extreme? I mean, I'm looking right below that and I see you have 
the end of the original New Mutants run, which I also think is better than this. Yeah, I'm working my way down now. You know what I mean? Um, Oh, boy. Enemy of the State's better than this, I think. Enemy of the State's also not good. But I do think it's better. I don't think it's as, as, like, disconnectedly bad as Muir Island Saga. Um, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the right above Muir Island Saga. I like the idea that the ideas get, that get introduced into Five Lights better. Okay, so you want to squeeze it in there? Yeah, we'll squeeze it squeeze it right on in there at our new number four fourteen, Emperor Vulcan. Where did we put Kingbreaker? Did we? Do, that's like did we do Kingbreaker? Yeah, we did Kingbreaker. Yeah, Kingbreaker's the one where Havoc's like in jail oh. and slowly absorbs yes. solar power. Oh right? yeah, he yes. absorbs an entire sun. Yeah. Okay, Kingbreaker is rightfully that. above both of those stories. We're good. That's at 338 right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad we saved this third one chronologically for last because I think it's the best of the three. Uh, what is this one? Zach? Yeah, you'd never read this, Adam. I was actually a little surprised. I have not. This is uh, this is outside of my... Because this is part... This is a core miniseries, but there was a large crossover event around this, correct? Yeah. Yeah, the War of Kings is like kind of the center of Abnet and Lanning's cosmic saga. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, messy war where the Guardians of the Galaxy and Nova just kind of like flail around, terrified of what's happening. It's great. <laughs> so, Michelle, correct my memory. I can't remember. Are you a big DNA like cosmic guy? Yes. Okay. Big fan. So, do you want to do you want to give Adam and anyone who may only read X Men comics? a uh, glimpse of what this epic is because i think it has a lot of the same things that people like in x-men comics in this Mm -hmm. like multi-year epic yeah so similar to how like the shiar have always been linked with the x-men and so vulcan takes over the shiar and it's like the x a mutant is leading the shiar the same thing kind of happens to the kree who have their own dealings with the inhumans where black bolt finally says you know what we're better than you. And he kills the Supreme Intelligence or whatever, and he takes over as leader of the Kree and says, I'm going, we are further evolved than the Kree race, so I'm going to try and uplift all of you to the levels that the Inhumans are because we're great. And War of Kings is, you know, those two empires that have recently been usurped by very relatively, like, upstart races... Uh, coming to head because Vulcan's just the worst, and quite honestly, Black Bolt and Medusa aren't far behind. <laughs> they they are terrible. It 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 was always interesting. Medusa is awful. It was this. always interesting to me reading because I had read War of Kings and the DNA stuff before, like all the Inhumans stuff hit with X Men. Before I had a reason to hate them, mm-hmm. and. What I liked about the characters at the time is that the Inhumans were often very wrong and, like, Mm -hmm. they played an antagonistic role even if they weren't outright villainous. Like, they were were played as... They were played as heroes with a different set of code or a different code than everybody else that allowed them to get into fights with them a lot. In War of the Kings, it's interesting, you know, that you say that two big realms were thrown off and that's that's part of what had happened uh as the entire marvel cosmic 
area was thrown off from a couple of events in the previous years with Annihilation yeah. and Annihilation Conquest, which directly, like, you can read starting from the Annihilation stuff in, what, 2004, 2005? Yeah. And run all up to, like, 2009, 2010 and get, like, one set story about Nova and the Guardians of the Galaxy figuring out how to put all of these weird space politics together as empires rise and fall. Uh, and War, War of the Kings is very interesting because it is, like, the it's the pivot point. Because uh, Annihilation Conquest was co-written by uh, Abnett and Lanning. Annihilation wasn't. They did, I think, one miniseries in it, maybe? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they wrote the Nova miniseries, then they wrote the main event for Conquest, mm -hmm. and then War of Kings is when they took over everything, because while this miniseries is going on, they were also writing the Guardians of the Galaxy ongoing and the Nova ongoing, which both crossed into this a lot. Wow. The Guardians of the Galaxy ongoing, which is the reason, solely, that we had a Guardians of the Galaxy yes. movie. Even though this mm -hmm. version of Guardians of the Galaxy is not what you see in the movie. Um, it Well... It's a lot of the same team. They're mm -hmm. just serious instead. Yeah, the it doesn't. Tone is weird. What's 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 interesting is that the team that appears in the main series of War of Kings, actually, besides like major victory, it's kind of the movie team. <laughs> like Bug's not doing stuff in this. Phyla isn't doing stuff in this. Moon Dragon's not hanging around. The only person who's not is Star Lord because he's off. Uh, Doing miniseries stuff. Mm. Well, like you got Groot and Rocket and Drax. That's true. That's what you need. That's true. Um, so just to clarify, not only are we ranking just War of Kings, but we're also ranking the issue that leads into this with the same creative team, Secret Invasion War of Kings, which basically sets up uh, Black Bolt taking it, the Inhumans it, off. It does the... rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire, but in one oversized issue instead of 12 <laughs> really long issues. Right. <laughs> so that's the lead up. It, it... We learned that, that, you know, the Black Bolt they thought they knew was a scroll, And now, you know, Black Bolt launches um, Adalon into Kree space and takes it over. Right? Pretty much. Yeah. Now, it, it's important. We should, we should mention there is a consistent creative team over these seven issues it's dan abnett andy lanning and paul pelletier who i want to i want to take a second because we've been harsh on the artists and we could be harsh on the cover artists of war of kings because brandon peterson is rough oh, brandon peterson looks like a looks like an early early ps2 video game on these covers and this was the ps2 was an old system at the time so it's very weird that that's his point of reference why well, go to, off Kate. i had to message you to make sure that it was the same brand brandon peterson that i remembered from executioner's song and it was just shocking yeah. to me that these were the same artists because you know yeah he took a hard pivot into cgi at uh, some point in the 2000s and he's never recovered his art is all like this now i don't like it I don't like it. What I do like, and I like a lot, and I want to give a ton of compliments and accolades to, is Paul Pelletier's art in this with Rick uh, Magyar doing the, the inks. I think it's incredible. Um, there's this weird, like, it's this nice blend of, like, a, a Mark Bagley-type style, but also, like, hints mm -hmm. of a Dale Keown, almost, in, in mm -hmm. the way in which he he draws faces and all of the characters look like different people 
you know they have different silhouettes mm-hmm. they have different expressions like it's just it's very very good art as i flip kept flipping pages i was like wow i really like this especially as you get to like the mm-hmm. the climax of this story which is we'll get to it but it's crazy um but i i'm assuming you you guys liked the the artwork as well a lot yeah pelletier um he did the nova series until guardians of the galaxy started he did guardians of the galaxy until war of kings started and he was basically like half of what why those books became cult favorites at the time and why abnet and lanning were able to do so many events over and over again Mm -hmm. because he's just so good at what he does yeah it's outstanding it's fantastic he's he's a great fit uh for this story which has a lot of moving parts and i'd say if there's one one thing about war kings that is a bit to its detriment just reading it as one event series Mm -hmm. is that it's it's of it's it cares about the events that are happening. It cares about this battle has happened, and now this has happened, and now this person's been assassinated, and now this, you know, every issue, like, there is, the chess pieces are moving on the board, and that's what you get. You don't get as much as the quieter moments. Like, there's there's a big thing, we referenced it earlier, where uh, Rachel finally gets her revenge for End of Grays, mm-hmm. and it gets, like, a half-panel beat to like let her feel emotion on it yeah i mean like i wish i wish there was an x-men tie-in to this series because war of the kings doesn't have that that would allow like the star jammers to better like deal with their part in this because they are they are playing the part of trying to get lalandra back as the uh, regent which goes well it works out but it goes very poorly for lalandra specifically (laughs) (laughs) yeah um she gets killed so not great yeah hey, by by she, a dark hawk <laughs> yeah i was about to i was about to ask when i got there it's like adam doesn't know about the fraternity of raptors does he Vishal? <laughs> <laughs> well they explain it yeah abna and lanning were just like yeah we're gonna make like a billion dark hawks now let's do that it ruled and the deal with them is what that they are they are custodians of the like future of the Shi'ar, correct? They, it doesn't matter who the Majestrix is, they they must project they must protect the the civilization moving forward. Is there not yeah, yeah? Is there more to it? I think it also has to do with the Emkron crystal, but it's just it's been long enough that I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I couldn't tell yeah. you. I cannot tell you the but deep yeah, lore this of guy Darkhawk. comes around and he yells at Darkhawk a bunch because Darkhawk's like, "I just want to do superhero things," and he's like, "You can't. You're a raptor now." And Darkhawk runs away after a while because he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but a lot a lot happens. Lalandra uh, does get herself murder killed, uh, which does get us a really cool moment though, where like from the Shi'ar side, Vulcan Vulcan's the main antagonist of this event, but the if you have a protagonist from the Shear side, it's Gladiator, who, mm-hmm. you know, he is sworn to protect the throne, and he takes mm-hmm. his oath very seriously, and he can do it because he believes that he can, and that's such a cool power, uh, is that he can be Superman oh, as yeah, long they, as he thinks they he use that Superman. really cool, like, earlier in the event where Rocket just kind of waves a broom at him, and Mantis 
messes with his mind, so he thinks it's a gun that can kill him. I love that. <laughs> so they're able to hold Gladiator off for like a while before he's like, wait, that race doesn't have that kind of technology yet, and figures out that they're lying to him. Oh, it's great. It's, well, he is the primary narrator for, for huge chunks of this, and you know, for... Because he, mm-hmm. he has to come around to his oath not being more important than the stewardship of this race. Like, say what you will about the Shi'ar as an empire. It's bad that there's a Shi'ar empire. It's also bad that the power of the Shi'ar empire is being run by a genocidal maniac. Right. Uh, well, and it, and, it gets... You know, he has all of these, like, amazing uh, reveals where he has to, you know, say, hey, I'm done with Vulcan. I'm going to try and get Lalandra back into office here, right? And then after she dies, he finishes this by becoming Magister. He is their king now, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a huge character arc over those issues. And um, I think especially thanks to the artwork, you really believe in the conflict that's going on in this character's mind and the exhaustion he's feeling at, at all of these steps in the process. Um. There's also a Terrigen so bomb. This all lasts pretty long. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Um, Black Bolt, Black Bolt, to uh, to get all of the Kree up to uh, up to evolutionary stuff because their scientists can't actually figure it out. It's why the Inhumans were created in the first place because <laughs> uh, the Kree mm-hmm. had hit an evolutionary dead end, and Vulcan thought that he could fix it, and he couldn't. Uh, he uh he does make a terrigen bomb which this wouldn't be his first time <laughs> it won't, won't be, be his, his last, last. <laughs> oh. the stakes are exactly the same as the x-men which with like yeah some people are gonna evolve a lot of people will die though yeah the the I... and also we're lying to everyone about yeah. it yeah yeah absolutely again having read this first did make me think that maybe uh the Inhumans should have known better during IVX, mm-hmm. or at least that someone should have read a single Inhuman story before putting them in this <laughs> position. Yeah, because I, I, they're all kind of like this, and that's what I liked about Inhuman stories for like a while. Yeah, like oh yeah, they're terrible. It's great. They they frequently talk about hey, you know about those slaves that we have, and it's two thousand and nine. <laughs> should we do something about that? Nah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and then Maximus leads them in an uprising, and they're like, "We're going to punch Maximus and not worry about the status right. quo. Just, <laughs> we're going to keep going." I do. I do not want to go back to that Jenkins J. Lee uh, in Humans. I read it right when I started reading comics. I was like, "Yeah, this is really cool. This is cool art. I'm interested in the intrigue." Going back with any amount of self reflection, I am going to be like, "So Max Maximus." is bad not disagreeing maximus is a bad guy he is just leading a slave revolution though right <laughs> like maybe he's leading a slave revolution for bad reasons on the whole like let's be a pragmatist here <laughs> we can deal with him later well we did not mention he's yeah. ineffective loki we didn't mention the 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 story begins with uh the symbolic wedding between crystal and ronan the accuser of all characters um which is an ongoing conversation that the two of them have as their relationship 
builds throughout this till the end when crystal is basically trying to like talk medusa and black bolt out of doing this uh genocidal act of releasing the terrigen bomb um it that's an interesting and well written build too yeah but it, it's that's... it's well written the way that the the character development is done between the two of them and until they yeah. get to the end and they stick together after that like they're a genuinely compelling a relationship until jonathan hickman of x-men fame torches the relationship oh was, that was in that was in uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Four or Four. FF. Yeah, there's the one issue where Black Bolt has this internal monologue about who would dare like destroy true love like this, and then he was like, "I would because I'm a king," and then Crystal and Ronan are sad forever. Aww. It is sad. They break up. Listen, Crystal Crystal's young. She is on like her fourth marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Do you like Crystal for sure? I know you're an Avengers guy. Do you like Crystal? I like Crystal a lot, but pretty much entirely for the Abnet and Lanning stuff more than Avengers. Like, okay. I think specifically War of Kings, where, like, Medusa's terrible, Black Bolt's terrible, and Crystal's just like, no, I want to help these people. I want to, like, tell them it's going to be okay. I want to understand their struggles because we're their rulers and we should be doing that. And Medusa's like, oh, she's just doing simple statecraft. It's an act. But Crystal genuinely believes this. It's great. I love that. No, I think I think it's really interesting like crystal's not been a character that i have been in general like attached to though i found it very odd that like when they were doing the big inhumans push she wasn't the one they were pushing she's always been the one they push yeah also the one they were pushing can't talk (laughs) she's got the coolest powers too she's the avatar i do like the reveal later on that uh medusa they're like well you're the only one that Black Bolt talks to. And she goes, he never says anything to me. You know, like, they, she's always there as, like, his translator. And then there's this reveal that, like, she actually doesn't know what he's thinking. She's, like, just taking cues from facial expressions, I guess. It's a, it's a nice little touch yeah. there at the end. I mean, I get... Black Bolt still has ears. He could go like, no, 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 Medusa, you're wrong. <laughs> what, one second. What's, Hold on, we still have is, body language. What is stopping Black Bolt from learning ASL and, like, you know, actually communicating with people? Oh, uh, Donny Cates said that he, he knows inhuman sign language and uses it a oh. lot. Donny Cates pulled that. In Death in death of the Inhumans, where he killed all the Inhumans except for, like, five. Okay, as much as I do want to rag on Donny Cates... Uh, he actually did pull that from the Inhumans TV show. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like that deserves more ragging on. <laughs> it show. does. Donnie Donnie Cates is not my favorite person. However, Donnie Cates stopped uh, Colossus and uh, Kitty Pride from getting married. That's true. He said that's dumb. We really shouldn't do that, right? <laughs> he was right. It's an amazing. He was decision. absolutely right there. We should the make best fun of page the of Mark TV Guggenheim's show. X-Men run. Oh, so oh my gosh. Some might argue the only. Um, now, the battle that occurs at the very last issue of this is so epic. Like, it, we have Vulcan mm. versus Black Bolt basically just, like, mutilating each other. And it's so cool. Like, it's this vicious fist fight screaming uh you know crystal's trying to stop the terrigen mm-hmm. bomb it does go off but without the agent that would actually release terrigen and 
escapes with Lockheed, or not Lockheed, Lockjaw, but can't escape with Black Bolt. It's a really great yeah. climax to the story. It's cool. It rips a hole in space several <laughs> parsecs long, yes. which is very... Th- that'll get followed up on yeah. in Realm of Kings. Oh, yeah. And they, they, don't, they don't leave it go. And in fact, like... If people remember the uh, Vulcan issue of Hickman's X-Men, like that's where he is at the start of that. Mm-hmm. He's floating through yeah. that weird rip in space time into the Cancerverse. Also where Black Bolt is when Hickman picks up on that in FF. Mm-hmm. Following up, following uh, up. Here's the thing. War of Kings may not be a good X-Men story because I think as it as an X-Men story... You know, it's fine. It's got some X-Men stuff, but its biggest X-Men thing is Vulcan. Who who cares? Yeah, and it rushes through all the X-Men beats because it's not interested in them. It is a freaking cool story, and I do like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think we talked about this a little bit as we were planning this episode, but I, it does have enough of, you know, the Imperial Guard, the Shi'ar, they are X-Men characters. You know what I mean? They originated in x-men i i think that even though we don't get a lot of love for like you mentioned the climax with um rachel finally getting to take out one of the uh she doesn't even take out the entire shiar death commando team but she does take out like the vulture looking dude um after he like the main one after he impales uh impales uh what's his name the uh gladiator's leg with like his spear or something like it's pretty spear. pretty violent um like you're right those beats are very very quick and not you know they're not the bulk of the story but i don't know i think there's enough here to to qualify it as x-men and i think it's better than uh than anything we talked about today i think it's heads and shoulders above a lot of stuff we talked about today i'm going to i'm going to throw out a couple of a couple of points uh, on our list, I think that War of Kings is better than a story that my cousin said he wanted to read all of and every tie-in to uh, today. And I told him, Bud, you just read House of X. You really do not want to jump into House of M. They are not connected. You will not enjoy this. And he said, no, I've got to know what happens. I'm like, do you? I can't stop you from reading <laughs> comics that are challenging. Please, no one, please read every issue of House of M and all of the tie-ins. God. Oh, I might be doing that soon. Oh, Vishal, buddy, buddy. That's at 139. I do think this is better than House of M. Way better. My question is, is it better than Uncanny X-Men 466 to 468, End of Greys? As someone who is not a huge Rachel fan, I think it is. That's... But also, it is... The Rachel portions of this story are significantly worse because they don't have Chris Bocciolo drawing and Paul Pelletier, as good as he is, can't draw Chris Bocciolo's murder death squad as well. Because I I think if I'm going to put a cap on this, like a ceiling for me personally, it's probably... For me personally, it's probably at 116 Excalibur, 61 Truth and Consequences. That's the one that's mostly splash pages of Rachel fighting Galactus in space. I, I'm i not going to sure. put this above Inferno at 118. Um, 
Oh, yeah, I wouldn't put it above Inferno no. there. We also I... have Inferno lower than other people would. Yeah, I don't think yeah. this is um, also as... I think it is better than Necrotia, personally. Which hmm. is at 122, and I would I would agree with Vishal if I'm like, if we're going event to event to event, yeah, I think this is better than Necrotia. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I, I, I might draw the line at 121, though. Uh, we've got X-Men Life Lessons at 121, which is that fantastic standalone uh, John Paul Leone illustrated sort of, you know, like feel-good PSA comic, but like that is a very good X-Men story. Whereas this, for all of its quality... The best just PSA comic that's ever existed, yeah. Right. I would, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with putting in between those two. Vishal, have you read this random PSA comic that's actually good? I haven't, but I have read X-Factor number 27, Gifts, and I do think it's better than War of Kings, so I'll live. Yeah, yeah. No, see, that's that's right. That's our new number 122. A good showing for a story that involves a lot of X-Men things but may or not be an X-Men story, <laughs> but we don't really care because we got to hang out with our buddy Vishal. Uh, and we got to do that again thanks to Derek McElroy. I'm going to re-say his name. We got to do that thanks to Derek McElroy. Uh, if you want to be like Derek, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash comicsxf. It supports the stuff that Vishal does every week as one of our editors and one of our writers. Vishal, are you right? Do you what? Are, do you have any beats right now? Are, you're doing the wrestle stuff. I'm doing the wrestle stuff right now. When Al Ewing and Rom V's Venom starts, Rom V's Venom starts. That's right. We're right. We're writing the I'm first gonna issue be together. That. That's right. I'm gonna be. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. I'm actually, I'm actually very excited about talking about Venom, which is a weird sentence for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's he... gonna be great, though. It's got. Oh, they're so good. No, I'm very excited about those two on Venom and then Al Ewing gracefully bowing out probably within the first eight issues and letting Ron B just do his thing. <laughs> probably. I'm just hey, I wouldn't complain. I'm I love Al Ewing. I'm just guessing here. Uh They did say that Al Ewing's writing all the Eddie Brock stuff and Ron V is writing all the kids stuff. Oh yeah. Here's the Adam Deep our listeners may not know about Venom right now. Eddie Brock is the king of the symbiotes in space. And is floating around in space being the king of all symbiotes and helping symbiotes, like, not be evil. Uh, anyway, his kid his kid is doing a Spawn cosplay and being Venom on Earth. <laughs> this sounds fun. Literally, he's Venom, but has chains wrapped around his oh, arms. Well, because kids love chains. I gotta read this. Kids this, do love this chains. This it's, it's coming. It's coming out soon, and it's gonna be very exciting. Uh, but yeah, Vishal, you're doing that. You're doing the stuff over at Comic Book Herald where you are part of a team that is putting together some excellent work that I really enjoy. Yeah. And what else you got going and, on? And uh, yeah, I recently was on an episode of Cerebro talking about my gun boy Cable. He's big. He's got guns. I like him a lot. Also has the glowy eye. Can't forget the glowy eye. <laughs> you, you know what? You can't forget the glowy eye. Art Adams worked really hard to make glowy eyes a thing that superheroes have, and we need to respect that. <laughs> it's true. Credit where it's due. Yeah, I think that's all I've got. Vishal, if people want to Adam, find you, you on? uh, online, where where should they go? Uh, you can find me at vgola87. Uh, I tweet sporadically about video games wrestling and comics nice 
maybe sports sometimes if my teams do good. <laughs> and Adam, how about yourself? You guys can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Zach. What are we talking about next week? Next week we're going to talk about Mutant X. <gasps> the show. We're, we're talking about Mutant X, Adam. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay. Have fun with that. A lot of, a lot of people like Mutant X. I am not those people. I haven't read it, so that was genuine. I hope you have fun with it. I don't know what it is. We're gonna Adam, find out. <laughs> I yeah, Adam hasn't read it. Here's the thing: I always make sure that I have fun with these episodes. <laughs> so that's that's really what's important. But hey, until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Adam. We hope you survive.